Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Matthew 24, verses 36 to 51, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 to 51. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at a mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. There are verses in this passage which are often misapplied. The coming of the Son of Man is often spoken of as being the same thing as death. The texts which describe the uncertainty of his coming are often used as epithets and thought suitable to the tomb, but there is really no solid ground for such an application of this passage. Death is one thing, and the coming of the Son of Man is quite another. The subject of these verses is not death, but the second advent of Jesus Christ. Let us remember this. It is a serious thing to wrest scripture out of its true meaning. The first thing that demands our attention in these verses is the dreadful account that they give of the state of the world when the Lord Jesus comes again. The world will not be converted when Christ returns. It will be found in the same condition that it was in the day of the flood. When the flood came, Men were found eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, absorbed in their worldly pursuits and utterly regardless of Noah's repeated warnings. They saw no likelihood of a flood. They would not believe that there was any danger. But at last the flood came suddenly and took them all away. All that were not with Noah in the ark were drowned. They were all swept away to their last account, unpardoned, unconverted, and unprepared to meet God. And our Lord says, So will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
Let us mark this text and store it up in our minds. There are many strange opinions on this subject, even among good men. Let us not flatter ourselves that the heathen will all be converted and the earth filled with the knowledge of God before the Lord comes. Let us not dream that the end of all things cannot be at hand, because there is yet much wickedness both in the church and in the world. Such views receive a flat contradiction in the passage now before us. The days of Noah are the true type of the days when Christ shall return. Millions of professing Christians will be found thoughtless, unbelieving, godless, Christless, worldly, and unfit to meet their judge. Let us take heed that we are not found among them. The second thing that demands our attention is the dreadful separation that will take place when the Lord Jesus comes again. We read twice over that one shall be taken and the other left. The godly and the ungodly, at present, are all mingled together. In the congregation and in the place of worship, in the city and in the field, the children of God and the children of the world are all side by side. But it shall not be so always. In the day of our Lord's return, there shall be, at length, a complete division. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, each party shall be separated from the other forevermore. Wives shall be separated from husbands, parents from children, brothers from sisters, masters from servants, preachers from hearers. There shall be no time for parting words or a change of mind when the Lord appears. All shall be taken as they are, and reap according to what they have sown. Believers shall be caught up to glory, honor, and eternal life. Unbelievers shall be left behind to shame and everlasting contempt. Blessed and happy are they who are of one heart in following Christ. Their union alone shall never be broken. It shall last forevermore. Who can describe the happiness of those who are taken when the Lord returns? Who can imagine the misery of those who are left behind? May we think on these things and consider our ways. The last thing that demands our attention in these verses is the practical duty of watchfulness in the prospect of Christ's second coming. Watch, says our Lord, for you do not know in what hour your Lord comes. Be ready. For in an hour that you don't expect, the Son of Man will come. This is a point which our blessed Master frequently pressed upon our notice. We hardly ever find him dwelling on the second advent without adding the injunction to watch. He knows the sleepiness of our nature. He knows how soon we forget the most solemn subjects in religion. He knows how unceasingly Satan labors to obscure the glorious doctrine of his coming again. He arms us with heart-searching exhortations to keep awake if we would not be ruined forevermore. May we all have an ear to hear them. True Christians ought to live like watchmen. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. They should strive to be always on their guard. They should behave like the sentinel of an army in an enemy's land. They should resolve by God's grace not to sleep at their post. That text of Paul deserves many a thought. Let us not sleep as the rest do, but let us watch and be sober. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6. 
True Christians ought to live like good servants, whose master is not at home. They should strive to be always ready for their master's return. They should never give way to the feeling, My Lord is delaying his coming. They should seek to keep their hearts in such a frame that whenever Christ appears, they may at once give him a warm and loving reception. There is a vast depth in that saying, Blessed is that servant whom his master finds doing so when he comes. We may well doubt whether we are true believers in Jesus if we are not ready at any time to have our faith changed into sight. Let us close the chapter with solemn feelings. The things we have just been reading call loudly for great searchings of heart. Let us seek to make sure that we are in Christ and have an ark of safety when the day of wrath breaks on the world. Let us strive to live that we may be pronounced blessed at last and not cast off forevermore. Not least, let us dismiss from our minds the common idea that unfulfilled prophecy is a speculative and not a practical thing. If the things we have been considering are not practical, there is no such thing as practical religion at all. Well might John say, Everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself even as he is pure. 1 John 3.3 3. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his 